Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Crazy said they got me staring at the world through my rear view. Hope your baby screamed to God because he can help you with your problems. Thug Brothers Wild, when we come through, they can relate to my music, help you with your problems. Turn us up. What's your problem? That That is Freeway. The song is called Full Effect. We used to start that song off crazy at least for a five or six year run. But welcome to Sports City because I am feeling really good. You want to know why Sports City? Because it's my baby's birthday as of yesterday. Uh, Happy birthday, Sports City. I got to say that. Um, December 6th, 2009, same place, same crime. Here, Sports City Blog Talk, we set it off. Me, Mark, Seth, did the best that we could. They were raw. I was already in the game. I already had my feet sunk in this thing, and I had a chip on my shoulder. Somebody turned me off the wrong way and, and been carrying this thing out. So, I'm blessed and fully thankful for everything that, you know, we've been able to get to, the heights that we've gone to, helping some create their careers and going to some epic miles. I I mean, so many different situations out of Sports City. So, Sports City, this one is for you. Before we go any further, I do want to dedicate and take the time out to stay in the city of Philadelphia. We'll be right back. This portion of our program is brought to you by PHI Apparel Company. PHI Apparel Company provides unique designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. 
With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act now while supplies last. I'm telling you, Sports City, get involved. Philadelphia is at a high right now. We got so many things to get into, especially within that city of Philadelphia, too. I got to do this the best way that I can. Calling in by the Midwest region of the United States, we have Michael Harvey in the building. Mr. Harvey, how are you doing? Welcome to the cookout. Man, I'm doing well, and it's always a pleasure and a privilege to be alongside with you, my brother. Thanks for having me. You already know it. We're going to do the best that we can. I've been advised that I got a couple people coming in later. I got a couple people that may pop up knowing how epic this day is, at least in the Sports City limelight. So uh, stay tuned. I actually try to get some of the oldie but goodie to try to come in here to give you some of that, you know, good old food for thought. Hopefully you guys are still doing those dishes. Um, I got to get to the hot, important stuff right now. Uh, As of today, Aaron Judge signs his contract with the New York Yankees early this morning, too, and this is crazy how it happened for me. Uh, he signs a nine-year deal for 360 mil, getting 40 per. Um, crazy thing about it, of course, you know that I live in the uh, northeast region of the United States in the New England tri-state area, so I'm in the midst of all of this, right? Um, a lot of people that are around me, a lot of people that live within my city or my state or that I work with are diehard Yankee fans, right? Or majority of them. And um, I was really talking to them like, uh, you know, well, will they be able to sign them? Then the Yankees threw the hardball out there like, well, we're going to give you 300. And then he tested the waters. San Francisco was like, well, we'll give you 360. And I was like, that's all he needed because I didn't think the Yankees would jump after they offered him 213, went to three after he had an epic season and then had San Francisco kind of like set the bar, and the Yankees are like, yeah, we have that money to do it. We're going to do it and keep the star here. And they did it, and I think more or less Judge weighed the option of, you know, where his feet are already set. And also, who has the better roster at this point in time? I think the Yankees have the better roster at this time. But what made it very interesting for me was looking at Trey Turner signing, and it's kind of like I'm joining two into one. Trey Turner ended up signing that $300 million deal with Philadelphia, and I'm like, there's no way Judge is sitting in New York about to get the equivalent of what Trey Turner got. And um, we went to San Fran, and San Fran was like, well, let's go a little higher. And New York just basically uh, set the trap on everybody to be like, listen, this could, this is your organization for now. There's nobody in front of you here that can steal the storm from you. So I, I really feel like the Yankees kind of – you know, tease it a little bit. But to be honest, I really feel like Judge could have gotten more. A lot of people around me were saying they didn't think that Judge would get more than four or five years. I was like, it's going to be at least eight to ten. And people didn't want to hear it. So the people that doubted me on that situation, I'm I'm just giving myself a round of applause. I don't have to play around with karma. But it's like this is a situation that he's going to have to make for the end of his career because I think he's going to end up retiring as a Yankee the way that they're setting this up for him at the end of the day. For nine years, he'll end up being 40 by the time this, this contract ends, unless he really wants out of New York. But we'll get into this first and foremost. It's kind of a two-in-one tie-in. Judge's deal is the biggest because it just happened, and it's a 360. He's getting paid a handsome amount per year in the middle of the Bronx. Mike, your thought on Judge's contract for 360 for nine years? So it's real interesting. I, 
I'm not surprised he got nine. I would have been surprised at ten, even though that's only a year difference. Um, I did read somewhere today that said of all teams, the Padres were even talking about as high as $400 million, uh for him. At the end of the day, I heard that it was kind of very similar to, like, all the different things I, I read today and was checking out on this because I knew we were going to talk about it. It was kind of similar to the way the Bernie Williams deal went down when he was about to sign with Boston. Uh, Steinbrenner got on the phone. They talked to the agent and said, ask him where he really wants to play. And at the end of the day, uh, it's like you said, the allure of, of the Bronx and the allure of what's going on there. Um, was uh, was too much, uh, and he just had to come on. He had to come on back, and so he did, and he gets uh, that nine years at, at three sixty. Uh, good for him. Like, listen, uh, this thing pays off with championships. If they can find a way to get a World Series or two, then you ain't gonna hear any. Uh, then you ain't gonna hear any complaints about it. Even if he does struggle a little bit on the back end of that contract, like uh, listen, uh, they got like you said, they got the money, uh, they got to get their star. What will be interesting to me to see is if they double down and go get a pitcher like a Rodon or somebody to try to help anchor that rotation, or is this all they're going to do in the off season? So that's the thing to watch moving forward. But this is a big deal for uh, Aaron Judge keeps him in the box, and I think he'll probably be. Uh, he'll follow Jeter and Mattingly and be the next Yankees captain. That's not something they hand out very often, but I think he'll be the next captain um, of that team and for that franchise. Yeah, I, I don't see anybody there that can steal it from him. Nobody in the uh, rotation, bullpen, or any everyday player. I, I think that's his situation. I really don't want to steal too much of the storm of what could be of them trying to get like Rodon, and I, I think I more or less want to leave it in the lap of where judges at this point in time with him being in his early 30s or late 20s, however you want to look at it, and especially for the season that he had, how much of that story can he add to while he's in the middle of storybook land in baseball being a Yankee? So um, it's interesting, especially with Trey Turner making that happen in Philadelphia and both of these guys at the same time stole that from the Padres. The Padres were trying to throw both of them heavy money. Uh, They were trying to make, Turner, the highest-paid shortstop at that point in time, he turned them down, basically requested to go to Philly, ended up getting that to happen. And they also offered Judge 400, and Judge also turned that down. I wonder what's going on in San Diego that they didn't want to go along with, like, Tatis and company. So it's very interesting to see how these guys both turned it down. Ended up still getting interesting deals for respected organizations across the board. But nevertheless, I think Trey Turner's contract basically put that 300 on ice when the Yankees first set out the uh, mark to try to get this contract underway to kind of make this happen before, you know, any other talks went down while December's in the thick of things. So interesting in itself. I can't lie. Judge is a player that I do respect, even though I'm not the biggest of Yankee fans. Everybody, ever, if, they, if you know me, I'm not the big Yankee fan, but I do have to respect Judge for what he's been able to do for the sport of baseball, especially for that organization in the Bronx. And um, this at least keeps them in the light for a little bit. But wondering what they do within the rest of that lineup is the wait and see because there's already been talks about them trying to unload not only Hicks and Donaldson, but they already just got rid of Jamison too, uh, one of their starters on the bump too. So Garrett Cole is definitely going to need some help while they get rid of one pitcher um, at this point in time. But, 
very interesting in New York. The next thing is the other side of New York. Justin Verlander signs a deal for two years with the New York Mets and an incredible deal to make happen right after the World Series. Now, me, now I'll actually let Mike go first on this, and then I'll add to it. Mike, your thoughts on Verlander signing a deal with the Mets, going alongside of his former teammate and coming right back to the scene of the crime with him in the middle of Queens, New York. So this gives them two guys who definitely have a proven track record at the top of that rotation. You're putting a lot of money into both of these guys, but they're both also short-term contracts. So they're both going to be up in a couple of years. Uh, listen, what else does Justin Berlander need to do? He's come back off of injuries. He won another Cy Young. Uh, he did struggle a little bit in the postseason. But if you're not going to keep Jacob deGrom, uh, listen, the level of dominance that he was able to display on the mound was unreal. The problem is, is that he just wasn't there. Uh, consistently due to health and whatever. And so, uh, listen, if if you're not going to re-sign him, uh, what better alternative could you have come up with than to to get a proven winner uh, like Justin Verlander to add to the top of that rotation with with Scherzer? That's a that's a very tough one-two punch. I got a couple of comments on the Mets moving forward from there, but I, I'll stop right there and, and get your comments and then we'll add to it. You can say the comment. Go ahead and say the comment because I, I got a, a little skill here. So you can say the comment. Okay. So, and then, you know, they double down and get another pitcher to add some depth or a little bit of length to that rotation today. But I think all this is, is set up in such a way, though, that in a couple of years, once he becomes a free agent, the Mets are really going to be able to make a play for Juan Soto when he comes back around, if he can get out of San Diego. So I think the Mets are doing what they need to do to try to solidify that rotation. And just like the Yankees, they still got some more work to do. But with these terms, with these contracts being uh, a higher annual value, but more of a short-term deal, uh, they're keeping their eyes on the big free agent uh, prize in the next year or two. Because there's two guys coming up in the next two years that the Mets are going to have their eyes on. And Shohei and Soto. The interesting thing about the Mets is can they get out of their own way? And everybody out in my area knows that the the Mets will play good fresh out of the gate late March going into April and then seeing how the spring works. And if they start losing, they just fall downhill. This year they held on as much as possible, got through the duration of the summer, and it looked good. As soon as they got to September, it's like the, the clock struck 12, the carrot turned into a pumpkin, and everything just fell apart for the Mets. And now it's like they get a big name in Verlander, to come there and try to make the storm at least having a dominant one-two punch to at least dominate as many series as they can with these guys trying to smoke it as best as possible. If they can, this makes the Mets that much dangerous. But they did lose Nemo out there, but they still have an interesting amount of pieces still there in Queens. And right now, I think they're the better team in New York City at this point in time. I will say that. But the one thing that does have me bothered is, why would Justin Verlander leave Houston after you just won a championship? That's the one thing that I, me personally, I'm, I'm I'm just taking the analytic situation out of it, and I get it, the money's involved, but I would want to defend that crown. You know, like, I get it, like, you want to challenge yourself and go out to Queens and make something happen because the Mets haven't gotten one since 86, I get it. But this team did something special. That storyline was incredible with you guys and Dusty and, and bringing one back to Texas and, 
I don't know if I would have left, but I get it. That money's on the table for him. It's a huge amount, so I understand it. But at the end of the day, I would have I would have loved to see that ran back and see what Houston could do. But that's the one thing about the business of sports, not just baseball in itself, but watching it turn into a situation where I how do I I really want to say loyalty like like I really don't feel like the loyalty is there like like just knowing how much people love the aura of the team or the guys that they were going to war with for the whole 162 games of the season and then getting into the fall classic and racing as best as they could to get to November to try to bring it home. And it's like, well, I'm going to leave now because it's the end of my career. That's the only thing I could think of is the end of his career and trying to get as much money as possible. But I wonder if Houston didn't try to entertain it or what, what type of deal that they really want to come down to to try to crunch numbers to keep him there. Because with Verlander gone, I think they're back vulnerable, even though they do have an interesting offense at the end of the day. So this is something to see. I do respect what the Mets were able to do to get him there. So you guys have a good rotation to start this thing up. But your bats have to stay warm and consistent through the entirety of the season. They can't fall apart in early spring or late summer, midsummer. They they have to play consistently. And I don't want to put that pressure on them which they know that they have to do them their doggone self at the end of the day. You mentioned you mentioned Houston right there, losing Verlander. If there's anything that Houston has a surplus of right now, it is pitching, but it's gonna be key, you know, to keep McCullers healthy and have Javier back and they add a Brayu uh, as a first baseman. So I mean they're still gonna be there to I mean a serious issue to continue in that American League for sure. We will see because he's an interesting pitcher, and those those other guys can be hit. And um, I think once Verlander turns it on late, uh, especially having that chip on the shoulder on where a lot of people say that he's not as strong as he is throughout the regular season as he is in the postseason, he finally got that thing to work for him in, in an impressive time, impressive fashion uh, at the end of the day. So we will see if Houston can do it in the postseason because I feel like they're still the threat in the AL West. I don't feel like the Rangers are going to come out of somewhere and start beating them up. Even though the Rangers have some interesting additions, uh, the A's are in their own way. They're, they're in trouble for at least a year. I don't, I don't want to say two, three, or four, because I don't know how much of, you know, the future holds, but I, I think they're still at the bottom. And uh, Seattle may be the one team that could threaten them. The Angels, I think so. You know, it depends on the health with the Angels. And if, if you could get Trout to stay out there, and I want to see if, if – Otani does end up staying there because I think that he's worth a ton of money, and it's going to be hard for them to soak up not only Shohei but also to keep Trout there with the money that they're dishing these two guys. It's like that's all the Angels do is throw money to people and can't really corral the storm. So we will see how this pans out at West. I think they'll take care of the AL West again. But when it all counts, when the fall classic starts, that pitching matters. It really matters, and, and I want to see how they can weather that storm. Um, anything else before we do move away from it? No, nah, but I'll tell you, if Judge has got 40, Shohei's going to get at least 45 next year. That'll be impressive. And I wonder what team will end up going after him because um, I don't know if he stays alongside Trout. I don't know. Um, as much as I love Mike Trout as a baseball player, um, he, he's injury prone. And, and I I hate to say this about him, it's hard to build around him. It's hard, especially the Angels. They, they don't have a winning product right now. I mean, they may have won it in 2002. Uh, going up against the Giants, but they clearly they are not, you know, pressing the issue of making that an important matter to make this team better. I, I think they're just going through the motions as much as possible to. I, I don't even know how to say get people in there because they're not winning. Like even if you watch an Angel game, like 
all sections of the field, right and left field, are empty. Like, they don't even have people to catch home run balls. So we will see how that does end up panning out. Okay, so the next thing I'm going to get to is the storm around college football. Deion Sanders has now informed his Jackson State team that he will be going to Colorado to coach the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, He actually already has landed out in Boulder and has already spoken to the team as well. And he's facing a lot of interesting comments, scrutiny, so on and so forth, uh, making the change from Jackson State to Colorado. I also have my views on this as well. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on on the news of Deion Sanders, now the new head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. You know, I kept wanting to believe it wasn't going to happen. Um but it did, and, and you know we we've seen the clips. Uh, I've read I've read comments on, on both sides of it. I don't really think I I think in this case there's definitely two sides to the story, and neither one of them are wrong, right? And that like I feel like some of the Jackson State people are like you want to make a huge difference, you know. Uh, like you said, uh, you you sold us on a dream, and now the dream's walking out the door. You know what I mean? Like you sold us on this and now you bailing on us. And so I understand why there's hurt feelings on that side. And I understand, uh, especially turn around and watching his intro uh, with Colorado. When he first met his, he used a lot of the same one-liners and a lot of the same comments uh, that he used when he first got to Jackson State. It was the same message. Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, modified a little bit to fit Boulder versus Jackson, Mississippi. So I can understand why uh, there's some hurt feelings behind it and people feel certain, you know, some kind of way behind it all. Uh, You know, the one thing that he said to his players in Jackson that resonated with me and the one thing that made me kind of stop and think about it twice was he was like, Look at all the, you know, it's three or four black head coaches on a Division One level that are being fired, and there's not really other guys, other black men that are being brought in to replace them. And so I feel like being given this opportunity, I need to take it, you know, to help the entire community, whatever. Like, And so I can see what he means there. I feel like the Jackson State, no matter what he said, was going to be a temporary stop anyway for him. I didn't necessarily expect it to be over this soon. And let's be honest, it's not like uh, it's not like Colorado is one of those jobs that people are banging down the doors to take. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like that's uh, the envy of uh, of America to go coach the Colorado Buffaloes. So, uh, it, like I said. The timing's a little bit premature as far as what I thought was going to be uh, his long-term plan. I can see both sides of it, and I think that both sides have valid arguments. But I think that it's a, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much we can we can blame a guy for trying to uh, move up. But at the same time, I understand the hurt feelings and why. Um. I knew that Dion would end up, you know, getting a better opportunity at a different school, right? 
And I feel bad for Jackson State because that's a, you know, HBCU at the end of the day. So you want to see him, like, kind of not only just sit there and try to make that a better school, but it's also a lot of kids that went to that school because he was there to help them get looked at. And if they didn't have a good spark while he was there, they will never get seen like they need to unless people finally give these black schools credit for what they've been able to do over the years. And Dion lifts the lid on the situation, but I think it's entirely around the limelight of primetime, a.k.a. Dion Sanders at the end of the day. Um, I feel bad because he had a game up against Alabama State. The head coach is Eddie Robinson, Jr., and at the end of the game, they, you know, Jackson State wins the game. He goes to shake his hand. He pushes him, like, because he wanted to hug him. He wanted to give him a, a, you know, a hug dap. He pushed him off and just basically told him he's not swag. Dion took that offensive and said, who's not swag? Like, I ain't swag. That was just a month or two ago. That was just a month or two ago, and you already made up your mind to leave the swag. You just contradicted yourself, Dion, and I get it. You're going to do something for the betterment of yourself. I understand. But out of anything, you went to Colorado, a school that has not been successful in the past 22 years. They have five winning seasons in the past 22 years. Like, and I get it. Dion, it would be impressive if you could turn the team around and have them 6-6 six and six this year out of the 12 games that can be played. Or, heck, even if they go 7-5, and that would be impressive. 8-4, and four, that's awesome. I don't think you get them to be 10-2. and two. 11 and 1, 12 and 0. Like, it's going to be a lot that needs to happen. Yes, I know he's going to, this transfer portal helps him. I know a lot of kids are probably trying to go to Colorado now because Dion's there. But honest, what kids are really trying to go to Boulder, Colorado? Like, other than people that smoke marijuana, what is attracting students to go from Miami or, you know, Gainesville or Houston, Texas or. Austin, Texas, a party city, or Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or, you know, like there's so many select schools that these guys could go to that not only just go play football, but enjoy their years of 18, 19, 20, 21, maybe 22 if they're older. Um, and I think also if Dion does well, that's what I'm going to add to it. If he goes six and six, seven and five, eight and four, one of these other schools are going to bark at him to try to get him out of there. Dion's going to leave. Dion's 55 years old. How long do you think he's going to sit around Colorado and turn Colorado around if he sat in Jackson State for a short amount of time to make a better move for himself? And I don't want to just weigh this on him, but it does have to. It has to weigh on him at the end of the day because you're looking at this school that has struggled in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is not that great. They don't play defense. I know Dion is a defensive mind, but they don't have the defensive studs that he's going to need for them to – Take care of business, even though I know this team's leaving the Pac-12, so on and so forth, but I'm not looking at your, you know, Colorado to be your juggernaut at the end of the day. And, again, like I said, he's 55. If he gets presented a better situation, because he's, he's getting, I think, five a year. If you mean to tell me Lane Kiffin got nine, Dion got five, and he's a Hall of Fame player on a defensive side of the ball, preaching, dominating the ball, and Dion didn't go get what he needed now, I don't know how long he wants to sit there and coach. Dion is actually driving – Scooters because of his health. Like, he has to think long-term. I don't think he's going to end up retiring in Colorado as a coach. Like, look at, you know, um, Dick LeBeau. You know, coaches like that that played football in the pros and made a name for themselves, and they coached until they were 
60, 70, 80. I don't think Deion's staying there longer than five years. I'm I'm putting that on him. I don't think Deion stays there for five years. I think he'll be gone soon. Um, within the two to four year realm, if it, if it gets great, and unless he has these guys contending for a national championship, if Colorado goes huh, eleven and one, twelve and zero, and they're in the talk of the playoffs, then yeah. But I don't even think with the twelve team playoff that they're coming up with, I don't see Colorado being a top twelve team in the nation next year. I don't. There's a lot of teams that are across the board that are stronger suited to play better than Colorado. And everybody that's going to play Colorado is going to want to play their A game because not only are they knowing that they're going to be on TV, they're playing up against Dion. Like, they can't wait to shake his hand at the end of the game. Everybody's going to come out with their A game. Dion has made his bed. He's going to have to sleep in this situation. Mike, your thoughts on the comment? No, I agree with you. I think that just like Jackson State was, I think that this is a stepping stone job for him. Listen, uh, Mike Norville had a much better year at Florida State. That was a place where I thought that he could end up landing, and he still might at some point. Like, you know, that's his alma mater if Florida State comes calling. Like, I think that he will say bye-bye to Boulder and uh, be on his way, you know, to Tallahassee. Uh, You know, Dion is a guy with southern roots, you know, from the south. And so I think eventually he's going to try to get back there. I, I don't think this is a uh I don't think this is a long term move for him. I think that this is something temporary for a little while. Maybe he can, you know, spark some flames and rekindle some uh some of the magic that they've had in Colorado, but like you said, they haven't won for a long time. So it's a it's an uphill battle. Um, at least in the Pac twelve, which as you said is a conference that doesn't play defense, um, that might be an advantage for him. Uh, if you can uh, put together a good defense, but no, I mean, it, it, like I said, it it tells you how bad he wanted to go to Division One, and it also tells you like he still took less money than a lot of f- Power Five coaches. I think it turns out at uh, I think it's twenty nine five for five years, so basically five point nine million a year, less than six, and then like you said, a guy like Lane just got nine. Uh, so it's a. Uh, uh, I mean, in some ways, if he delivers like he says he's going to deliver, then maybe Colorado got a bargain. But we'll see. You know, the, the interesting thing about it is, though, and Dion knows this. Uh, you know, he wanted Jackson State in the swag. If he does not win in Colorado, it's a real quick trip out of there. You know, he told his players at his uh, last con- uh, at his last meeting with the team after the game, he said coaches either get elevated or terminated. And so he got elevated. He moved on to a Division One job. But if you can't win out there, then you ain't that far from being terminated. So, uh, listen, he's got an uphill battle. And, uh, you know, for him, I hope he does well. Uh, but, you know, I think the other thing that I saw is – I feel like he has changed his focus. So uh, for the last few years, he was saying trying to really help the HBCUs gain equal footing and try to be seen as more equals. And, and, you know, he was beating that drum very, very loudly and how important it was to make a difference in these young kids' lives. And he can make a difference in young kids' lives still at a D1 level. But uh, the stat I read today that said, 33% 
of young black athletes that go to Division One schools are first-generation college students. But when you look at HBCUs, it's that number jumps to like 52%. So if, if at the end of the day, uh, you know, your goal is to really make a huge difference on the grassroots and really help uh, promote these HBCUs and you're pitching people in that dream, you did sell out on that uh, before you really were able to help them realize that, right? Uh, now you're changing, uh, you're moving the goalpost, and that's your right. Uh, but it, it's just a different, you know, it, it's a different dream now. It's it, even though he's he's packaging it the same way, in a lot of ways, it's a little bit different. Again, I, I feel bad for the kids that invested themselves to go to Jackson State um, that probably could have gone somewhere else. Especially, and this would be the worst of the scenario because Dion can't see the future, nor can he retract what he's done. What if these kids suffer? Like, what if Jackson State goes from the, the top of the swack to starting to lose games? And I want to say, like, one or two. Like, I don't want to – if they start losing five or six games, it's like it's a mess. And um, that could ruin the spirit of a lot of these kids that – had high hopes to make something happen, and he's already trying to get Travis Hunter to come out to Boulder, too, so it's tough. Um, but I get it. For the betterment of Dion. everybody wants to make more money while they're working at the end of the day. So I understand the chase. But still, at the end of the day, I feel like this was an interesting move for him while there were other guys like Eddie George, so on and so forth, that are trying to get coaching jobs in these HBCUs, and it kind of took his luster away while Dion goes to a normal – you know, institution uh, to go out there and coach, especially Colorado. I, I feel like there's other schools that needed him that could have better athletes out there, but I guess they're going to probably end up giving him as much control as possible and stay out of his way. So, um, again, it's the Pac-12. Hopefully he can raise some eyebrows out there. They they play later. Um, they, there's a lot of cons to me than there's pros with him in Colorado. So hopefully, like, again, they went 1-11 and 11 this year. So I wanted you – know, I don't even want to put the pressure on it, but I kind of have to. 6-6 six and six are better. Like, that, I feel like, Dion, you have to be able to bring that to the table. 6-6 six and six are better. Um, and it'll be tough to see you go 4-8 and eight and then go 6-6 six and six and then 7-5. and five. It's like, what, what was that all for? Why you had a team that was a juggernaut there, and you could have turned things around in the HBCU world to have a lot of kids try to go down there to make a difference and take away a lot of the, the normal powerhouse institutions that are across the nation. I wanted to see that. I want to see that. And it's, it's frustrating to see that it got kind of taken away from them. I, I want to say, Rob, there's so many different terms I want to use, but I don't feel like it's tasteful to be in the kitchen, to say the least bit. Uh, Mike, anything I, else that you want to Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I agree with you. No, no, no. I definitely agree with you on that. I, I really wanted to see – uh, how much of an impact he could make at that level. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I have read is they've already said that when it comes to transfer portal and whatever else, he's getting the school to relax some of those uh, admission standards to try to allow him to get better athletes in there. Um, and so I don't know what that means. I don't know what those standards were at Colorado or how rigid they were. So, um, until I get a little bit more information on that, I can't speak on the exactness of it, but it, it's just interesting that, you know, that's one thing he felt like he needed and the school was already trying to work with him on that. But 
you know, hey, man, whatever works for Dion, you know, I, I wish him the best and I hope he's successful. But I still look at, like, Jackson State and I look at those HBCUs and, you know, I hope they can make an impact higher and I hope that we can continue to have uh, – you know, we have Eddie George at Tennessee State. I hope we can continue to get some people that move the needle in these programs and show these kids that they can still be recognized and have a future if they want, even at this level, because Dion was like, uh, you know, kind of a lightning rod to help jump that off uh, in the swag. And so I, I hope somehow they find a way not to lose all of that. And they hate to put the pressure on these guys, but some more Hall of Famers. You guys are sitting up there with a whole bunch of wealth of knowledge for the game and rather not teach them, but it'll shake your head at what these guys could be doing. And I'm talking about the other athletes that are out there playing instead of, you know, enlightening them on the game that you know. That's why I like, I wanted before Crystal Ball came to Miami, I wanted Ray Lewis. I wanted Ed Reed. Like, Miami's defense is struggling. Get down there and help them. You guys are defensive masterminds at the safety position and at the linebacker position, two of the best at the position. And these guys rather not. Like, go out there and do something. I know T.O. tried to push the situation of trying to get a coaching job. They kind of nodded away from T.O. Warren Sapp, but Warren Sapp's lifestyle outside of football kind of got in his way. So I'm wondering if they are going to try to go after these type of guys to, um, you know, make the needle move at the end of the day. So, Hopefully Dion did something interesting that these, uh, you know, universities try to give these guys a shot and try to lift these HBCUs up as best as possible. If not, the power is going to stay within the power conferences, so on and so forth, and it'll con- convincingly continue to get overlooked. You barely caught any HBCU games ever. Dion was there at Jackson State, and they were on ESPN2. Like, you're seeing them on ESPN2. You're not seeing them on main screen ESPN or ABC, so on and so forth. I felt like it took time for that to finally get its credit on a week-by-week basis. Then we can go from there. If not, it would have been a game on BET or wherever you could try to catch that type of game, you know, televised. So we'll see. It's just something that's nagging at me because I respect and love Deion's game, what he's been able to do for football. But if he can turn Colorado into a USC out west or something like that, then okay then you're proving me wrong that you did something to turn this around instantly. But I feel like this is a stepping stone slash money move, and I don't even want to do it, but he made a song called Must Be the Money. The call-in number is 929-477-2759. We got you guys locked and loaded in Sports City on the the post-birthday celebration of Sports City. My baby's birthday is 13, 13 years here. Okay, so – we got a lot of stuff to get into. We have NBA. We still got some things lingering, MLB. But you know what? I'll get into the NBA situation as as this thing is getting hectic across the board, all of which we could do NBA. But I'm, I'm going to do one while I have him here and I could do this. Your thoughts on the turnaround of the Lakers at this point in time. Now, granted, they did just lose an interesting game last night, but – I feel like this is the Lakers that we've been waiting to see. Um, do they continue this uh, while, you know, they find the strength off the bench of Russell accepting that role? Anthony Davis on a, a tear like crazy, um, trying to put him in MVP talks. Your thoughts on, wow, this status has been getting crazy around LeBron, not because of LeBron. Well, I mean, I'll say this. So they were losing by 23 in Toronto tonight on the second night of the back-to-back. That's always a tough place to play. 
especially when you just played the night before. But, I mean, you know, it's well documented. They, they went 2-10, and ten, then they won 8 out of their next 10 to try to sort of, uh, you know, try to fight back a little bit and get in shouting distance of, uh, you know, the 8 seed in the playoffs. I, I will say this. I think that the Lakers are going to go as far as Anthony Davis can take them. It's not by accident that when they go on that run and win an 8 out of 10, Anthony Davis is playing at such a high level. LeBron, for all his faults and things that like he could have done differently or whatever, he knew that when they brought in Anthony Davis, that, you know, they brought in Anthony Davis to try to give him the keys to the Porsche, to the franchise. Uh, and LeBron wanted to be, you know, Robin to AD's Batman. Uh, you know, we've had people in the shop say without AD, they don't win the championship uh, in the bubble. And they they probably don't. Uh, the the one thing that I will say is the NBA season is a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so this man play, has played the high level over the last 10 plus games. That's a sprint to me. Um, he's had so much trouble. Uh, staying healthy over the entirety of his career that he is for the the Lakers to achieve anything, not only this year, but moving forward, he's going to have to find a way to fix that and to be able to stay healthy. This team traded a lot to get Anthony Davis and that's been well documented. We've talked about that in many spaces. Um, but he has to be the alpha dog and the guy that leads this team. And in order to do that, he has to be on the court. And if he's not out there, I mean, uh, you mentioned it. It was around LeBron, not because of. Uh, they won some games when LeBron was even out because of Anthony Davis playing at such a high level. And Russell Westbrook, like you said, has embraced that role and has kind of figured it out. I still think this is uh, a bit of a flawed roster. It's amazing, uh, you know, once, when your stars shine as bright as they can, what it would really, what it really does for your team. Um, you know, this is still not a legit Western Conference contending team. I don't care what anybody says, and I'm as big a Lakers fan as there is out there. But for them to even come close to reaching their ceiling, uh, Anthony Davis is going to have to maintain this high level of play and be able to do it for the majority of a season. And like you like to say this all the time, so uh, I'm going to borrow one of your lines for a second. Uh, but notice I'm citing my source. I want to be fair with the number uh, and say Anthony Davis needs to be able to play 65 good games for this team, uh, for them to be anywhere close to playoff contention or at least reaching their ceiling as a team. Very fair number. Very fair um, and I'd be impressed if he went higher than 65. I, that's a very fair number, especially with the grueling amount of games that's in the season. Like, I, you know, a lot of people saying, well, when's the last time he played 82 games? I know it's hard for him to do that. And his body structure, I mean, yeah, he's built wide and solid, but it, it, he still has that frame of, like, he's still ready to be a guard. And um, it, it's tough, but right now the tear that he's on and, and the, the game that he had, he had 70-something percent shooting from the field. He had a 50-plus 50, 50 scoring effort and, and double-digit rebounds. I mean, he, that was a game that he had in New Orleans back in the day. So if Anthony could keep this going, that's something that they could work off of. But it's tough when 
they really don't have those other guys to step up around him. Like he said, um, they're losing by uh, 21 at this point in time in Toronto, but Anthony Davis and LeBron are both out of this game. So I understand why this lead is so heavy. But um, I don't want to see the Lakers lose this type of momentum in the West, and uh, they have to keep building themselves up. It's incredible that they've actually been able to pick themselves off the ground because the Lakers were one of the worst teams in the league uh, a few games ago, and the running they went on, it's kind of like they all bought in at this point in time. So we will see what the Lakers can do. Just like Mike said, if he could give them 65 games, I want to see what they look like. If they're above 500, I had somebody try to say that not only will they do well, they think the Lakers are a 50-win team at this point in time. I said, so they're going to go from 33 wins to 50? That's a plus 17? That's a lot to ask for. But I know that's a lot to ask for, but we will see how that ends up happening because we get these conversations on a day-by-day basis. At least me and Mike see it happen. So I want to see how it does happen for the Lakers. It's incredible to see that this is where they are at this point in time, uh, trying to make their way out of the cellar up the Western Conference. Hey, real quick, if you want to be part of these conversations with Timeless and myself, join the barbershop on Clubhouse. That's another plug. There we go. Okay, so we have a couple of games taking place, and another team I do want to talk about is the Brooklyn Nets with everything that they are dealing with and all the storms swirling around, more than less their, their superstar guard that they have uh, with Kyrie Irving. But I don't even want to just keep the camera or the limelight in front of them. Um, they are slowly starting to turn this thing around and play better. I uh, think that they can contend to be a top eight team in the East. I think they can. But at one point, how porous they were playing, I didn't even think the Nets were ready to make a run at nine or ten. But right now, they have all systems going. They were talking about trading them, but the way that things are going, I don't think that Brooklyn's going to let go of Kyrie unless they do something tragic or very sudden out of the ordinary to move Kyrie at this point in time. Uh, your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets while they're starting to put this together and find a formula to win games. Your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets, Mike? Two words for you, John Vaughn. So you, you've got a guy that has coached, uh, that has the player's respect. It's not just a hand-picked choice by one or two guys. And so you have a guy that's dealt with multiple personalities and has been on multiple benches and, you know, has kind of been through some of these battles before, uh, both as, you know, a top assistant associate head coach and as a head coach and been around this game for a long time. So to me, even at the professional level, uh, coaching makes a difference. I think you got these guys more on one page and you got they needed a different voice and this new voice is a voice that is, is at least respected, I think, by the players and for the most part in the league. Um, so I'm not surprised to see them having a little bit more success. There's just so much talent um, on that team. Um, are there a few things that they could do to, to tweak that roster and make it a little better? Sure. But there's a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of uh, good players. And so, yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if they're not, you know, contending for the top, you know, eight playoff seeds. And then at the end of the day, when you have one of the most skilled players that's scoring the ball that this league has ever seen, like, you know, this is a team that you don't want to match up with. In the playoffs, it could be a scary uh, out or a tough out. I'm not saying they're ready to contend for a championship or anything, but I am saying that 
uh, you know, kind of like you said, man, it, it looks like they're they're starting to get things together a little bit and be on uh, more of one accord, which, I mean, that, that's what you have to have. And then, I mean, the fact that the fact that these guys have been able to work together and you're even seeing some some good things out of Kyrie uh, is, is good for this franchise. If you're talking, you're on mute. I sure was talking because I was looking at the standings while I was telling you this. So, again, I'm going to tell you this right now. The Brooklyn Nets at this point in time are the eight, the six seed, excuse me, uh, in the East being 13 and 12. So they are above the needle, if you will, from seven through 10. So if they can stay there, that makes them interesting enough to stay outside of the um, – we will see because the, the sixes are sitting behind them. Uh, once they get at full strength, getting everybody out there, I think that's int- impressive. If Maxie and Harden could turn this thing around while they're alongside Joel Embiid, uh, the Raptors are a team to worry about. And also the Knicks are in a frame of things, too, sitting at 11 and 13 as well. And the Wizards are also 11 and 13, too. Maybe the Heat could jump back in this thing because they're sitting at 11. I don't see too many thrills and spills outside of the Heat. The Bulls are 9 and 14. They have an impressive team or impressive roster, but they're losing games. They got to turn this around. I don't. I think, and I hate to say this right now because I am a Thunder fan. You guys know this. If Billy Donovan doesn't get this team above 500 at the end of the season, he'll be out of Chicago. And that was a coach I did not want to watch walk away from OKC because he did an impressive job, even when KD left, dealing with everything around Russell Westbrook. And not only that, he helped, you know, try to turn this thing around with Chris Paul and Shea. And as soon as that season was over with Chris Paul, no, he probably had an inkling on that Chris Paul was going to leave. He left and I thought that he was going to be able to turn the Bulls around. They had one ray of light, but now it's still the same old Bulls with one guy trying to dominate the ball and getting a sidekick here or there. I, Zach Levine needs to play consistent. DeMar DeRozan is always that guy there. But for them to be 9-14 and 14 at this point in time, I know it's still early. It's 23 games played, but that's a quarter of the season to me. Um, they have to be better in the East. Wide. This is very interesting across the board. Uh, another team that I do want to talk about in the Eastern Conference before I go to the Western Conference again and look at what's going on in the West. Or better yet, let me look at the West. The Lakers are 10 and 13 at this point in time. They're sitting at 13. Um, they are a half a game behind the Thunder. The Thunder are in trouble at this point in time up against the Memphis Grizzlies. But it's a log jam. I mean, the Golden State Warriors just won a championship last year. They're the 10th seed in the West at 13 and 12. Tenth. Tenth seat. Like, this is how crazy the West is. But, okay, so I, I don't want to – I mean, I can. I do want to – I am going to come back to the West. But, Mike, good thoughts right now on how Boston has been able to not only take care of business, they are impressively at 20-5 and five at this point in time while they had started the season without their head coach that got them to the finals. And me personally, I thought this was going to be a situation that it would kind of stub their toe um, with this happening. They are – Still on one accord, still on beaten path, uh, making it happen in Massachusetts. Your thoughts on the Celtics with Brown and more or less Tatum actually playing well as well? Uh, first of all, I completely agree with your comment on Billy Donovan. It was, <laughs> I thought the same thing the last time I looked at the Bulls in the standings. But, uh, yeah, as far as Boston goes, like, uh, I'm impressed uh, with what they've been able to do so far. Uh, 
you know, as you talked about the organizational turmoil and things going on there, it might have been easy to kind of, uh, you know, fold the tent or have uh, some excuses there, but they, you know, have been able to continue to progress. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's crazy to think because they've already been uh, so far in the postseason, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both still young. And so what you hope to see with guys like that is that they continue to evolve and grow their game and take another step each year uh, to getting better. And I think that this team is doing that right now. And so, you know, they, they got a guy on the bench that uh, apparently has been able to keep everything together. Uh, This is an impressive team. And right now, you know, we talk about it being a long season, but through the first third of the season, uh, I I don't really see anybody right now posing a serious threat to Boston right now in the Eastern Conference. Uh, it, it's hard to to be anything but impressed with what the Celtics have been able to do so far this year. And trust me, that that's hard for me to say. There's at least one team that I think poses a threat to them in the East, and that's Giannis and company, a.k.a. the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, that's still going to be a sour taste in their mouths the way that the season ended last year uh, in the Eastern Conference playoffs uh, where they basically went seven games and were trading home court, so on and so forth. I don't think they have an answer to defend Giannis, but they can defend the others. And they did play them without Middleton last year. Middleton is back. But looking at the way that the Celtics are structured, they take a lot of that out of the lap of Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart not only having to be the orchestrator, they have Brogdon. They also have White as well. So they have guys that can come on the floor and not only stretch the floor, they are now knocking down shots. But Malcolm is actually not only a guy that can hit a shot, can get in the lane, he can distribute as well, but he also plays defense just as well as Marcus Smart. Uh, to me, I like his defense better than Smart. Smart has interesting tactics. I do want to call him dirty, but I want to save face for it. But this is the way that Marcus gets the job done at the end of the day. But Brogdon is is no day off. If you get Smart out of the game in foul trouble, you got White that plays defense and you got Brogdon. These guys both can actually play well on the ball defense at the one position. If it's taking you that much time to get into your offense, that helps their defense at the end of the day force erratic shots. So the Celtics have been able to get it. I think they're more or less taking this on the chin on the way that the season ended last year. And they're doing a lot of this without Rob Williams, their big man, that was actually causing havoc last year in the postseason right now. So if they could get him back along with what they're able to do right now, I, I think the sky's the limit for the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference right now. And while they're ahead by a two-game margin in front of the Bucks, but the Bucks are still around. Like, again, they played – I think it's a total of two more games in them. Yeah, that is a two-game window, and I think anything could happen right now. But at least to pose a threat to the Celtics, the Bucks are still around. Everybody else has to prove their situation, including a team like Cleveland who were able to put a, a win up against the Lakers, no less. But all these teams I, I question right now. The Hawks, you, you, they're, now you see me, now you don't. The Pacers are trying to unload Miles Turner, um, wondering if they get that done before the trade deadline. That has been talks as well. And, um, again, like we mentioned, the Brooklyn Nets also. So we will see how this pan out in the Eastern Conference. Uh, 
Anything else that you'd like to say before we get away from the Eastern Conference? No, I'm good there. I agree with you on the Bucks uh, being the only real right now serious threat. But, you know, as we talked about, a lot of time now still for things to shake out. So we'll see. You know, we could look up uh we could look up in a couple months and I say it's gonna happen. Brooklyn could run off eighteen out of twenty or something. We're having a whole other discussion, right? But uh I, I definitely agree with those thoughts and I think we're good on the East. Okay, so we will get into some of this Western Conference ball because this is interesting in itself. Chris Paul is back on the floor after nursing an injury. He will be playing today against those doggone uh Celtics as well. Looking at the Western Conference Impressive or not, if you are impressed, I know I am. The New Orleans Pelicans are number two in the Western Conference. This this is just like baffling how high they are right now. And I know this is the early portion of this. This is the Wild West, and they have been dealing with injury in and out of this lineup, and they've been able to hold their own while they're figuring it out right now at this point in time. I know that is home sweet home for you. Your thoughts on Zion and company down there in the boot, a.k.a. Louisiana, they are 15 and, not, 15 and 8, excuse me, at this point in time, a half a game out of first place. You know, I saw something the other day that said that uh, in his last five games, Zion was <laughs> in something like uh, 28, 12, and 6 or something. Just, like, it, it was ridiculous. Or 28, 10, and 7 or something. Um, points, rebounds, assists. Um, he's a freakish athlete. The other thing, uh, you know, if he could stay healthy, that's going to be real interesting. The thing that, that I thought about, and when I kept telling people going into the season to look out for New Orleans, this team is just deep. Like, uh, like you said, they've been able to survive some injuries. They've got a lot of good pieces on this team, um, and and it really works. They can go they could put C.J. McCullough at the point, and he could share some ball handling with with Zion. They can also move him over to the two, and they got another little point guard they can bring in there. Uh, Herb Jones is a is an athlete that plays really good defense on the wing. Uh, this team has a lot of pieces, and this team is very very young, um, and they got a coach that they apparently uh, seem to really like playing for and really green. Um, so. This is a team that, you know, I, I think that this year is when they're really starting to scratch the surface of what they can be. Uh, and, listen, the city of New Orleans needs this uh, for this basketball team. Uh, for them to be able to uh, sustain life in this city and not lose this team, which is what has happened to uh, the city of New Orleans uh, in the past. For them to be able to keep this team, this is really the shot in the arm that this city and this fan base needs. Um, and honestly, you, you look at it, man, like even moving beyond this year, uh, you know, they got everyone in the Lakers draft picks for the next several years, and the one year that they don't, they can still switch places with them. Um, so this team is going to have a couple of first-round picks every year to sometimes look at best available or also figure out what fits this system. And they're young, uh, and so – to steal a, a, a phrase from uh, from Dion's first meeting in Colorado, they're coming. They're coming. Okay, the next thing I have to talk about is in the Western Conference, it is so crazy that the way that everybody's playing across the board, you don't know who to follow. Um, they, are, they are having talks 
about how the All-Star game is supposed to look, there are eight guards going crazy in the Western Conference. You have Steph Curry. You have Damian Lewis. You have Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Jamal Murray is actually playing good ball right now. De'Aaron Fox is also playing good ball. John Morant. I mean, Devin Booker would be another guard. That's seven right now that I mentioned off the top of my head right now. That's seven guards out of the West right now going crazy. And the eight She's guards that I'm missing that I wanted to I'm I'm trying I'm trying to get I'm trying to get you. That's the guy that I wanted to talk about. Is Luka Doncic. Luka is probably an MVP talk going absolutely crazy. I was doing that on purpose to try and name all of the guards that I can without mentioning Luka. I got to seven to get to eight that have been recognized in the the all-star talk right now. For this guy to be leading the league in scoring, the Dallas Mavericks are sitting at seventh seed right now. When they started out the season sitting at number one, they've fallen, but not just because of bad players, so on and so forth. It's just how crazy the West West is at this point in time. Nobody thought that the Portland Trailblazers would be in this conversation. They're in the eighth seed, and they were at the top of the league too, but it's kind of like people are now hitting earth. Uh, at this point in time, from all of the strong guard play across the board in the East, or excuse me, in the Western Conference, your thoughts on at least these guys, and of course, to talk about Luka Doncic. I mean, you, you mentioned them all, and, and all of them are playing. And, and like, it's funny because I knew you were gonna, <laughs> you were gonna say, "Hey, my bad on the premature mention of Luka there." But as you're going through, I'm like, okay, so. Um, if we can only take, you know, six to the All-Star game, who can I take off this list? And so as you're going down, name it each guard, I'm like, not him, not him, not him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and to me, about the only one of those that you could really scratch from this list right now would be Lillard only because he's missed a chunk of time due to injury, right? And he's still been playing at a high level. Uh, yeah, and like just some uh, incredible guard play. Um, in the Western Conference, uh, what Luca is continuing to do um, in Dallas is is impressive. And you know the thing about Luca that is impressive this year is it, it, it's almost like last year. I don't know if it was uh, because of how everything had fallen out the previous year with COVID and then being late. I'm not sure, but it was almost like last year he showed up out of shape, and it took him a while to really get into shape. That did not happen this year, so we saw that progression in his game and saw him, uh, you know, ready to go uh, when the season started. So, um, you know, listen, he's that uh, he's that franchise dude for Dallas, and he's the guy that that they're hanging their hat on. This is, you know, this is uh, at the guard position now, but this is, you know, what they're doing the same thing with Doncic that they did with uh, Nowitzki. This is a guy that I think Cuban's going to do in and everything he can not to ever let him get out of town and try to surround him with uh, a team that could possibly win at some point. Uh, but, listen, Doncic is uh, an incredible player, man. And then you look around the league at, at all these guards. Like, listen, Shea's going crazy. Um, for the Thunder, uh, Ja looks like he's uh, he's stepping his game up with what he's doing in Memphis. Uh, that. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's crazy to think, you know, uh, how many good guards and you know, uh, you know, for uh, you know they they could have had Spider. Now he goes to the East. So uh, lots of talented players, and 
how how they pare this down once it comes time for All Star selection and our first second team NBA and all that over the course of the of the next few months is going to be uh, really interesting to see how this pairs out. You just mentioned that some some of these teams are kind of coming back to earth. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, if any of these players do or if they can maintain such a, a high level of play because all these guys uh, were an all-star consideration for sure. Your thoughts on the Utah Jazz, how they've been impressive out the gate and still being able to storm into people's gym, whether people like it or not. They are 14 and 12 at this point in time and sitting at ninth seed in the Western Conference, being competitive as they possibly can and nobody, including them, I'll put it all on me. I won't say nobody. Myself, with all of the pieces that they lost from Donovan Mitchell to Rudy Gobert, I thought they were hurt. They lost their coach as well in Quinn Snyder, and they are still above 500 and can still ruin anybody's night at any given night. Your thoughts on the Utah Jazz? Well, I, so I think this is a young team. Uh, they do have some talent. You wondered how they were going to piece it together. and And the thing is, I, this is another team that I feel like the future is bright for because they've been stockpiling picks and other things to, to make this work. Um, you know, one of the things that I read about with them even early on is uh, they, the coaching staff, they wanted to create competition in everything. So they're competing in practice. Everything's pretty hard as far as uh, it, it's all a competition for them. So this team is going to, what it lacks in experience and proven names, they're going to try to make up for with just hustle and grit and effort. And I think that as the season continues to shake out, the cream sort of rises to the top. I mean, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were sitting, you know, in the top three in the West. Now they're around ninth. I think they're going to fall out of playoff contention eventually. But I do think that this team is not going to be nearly as bad as what, uh, you know, I'll put it on me too, I thought, going into this year. This team's going to play hard. I think they're going to bring it every night. And if if you don't play good ball or if you show up trying to – even when they fall some in the standings, if you don't play good ball and you show up trying to sleepwalk through a game against uh, what you perceive as a lesser team – you're going to mess around and get your head handed to you. Uh, this team is going to play hard, uh, play with a lot of effort, and listen, you better bring it against this team no matter where they sit in the standing. So uh, I'm impressed with the, with the coaching and, the, and, the, and what they're able to get out of the pieces that they have on that team. And, I mean, listen, Danny did this in Boston where they were down for a couple of years and people were kind of laughing. Then he started stockpiling picks and all of a sudden people stopped laughing pretty quick. Uh, I think that uh, they did not sink as far as a lot of us uh, thought that they might. And so they might not have quite as hard of a climb as, uh, as even uh, Boston did at one time. So um I will say this. I, I think that this team, because of its uh, energy and because of its effort, I think that they will be entertaining to watch. I think the Utah fans will enjoy watching them. And I think if you're just a, a fan of basketball in general and a fan of the game, I think that as long, especially as, as, as long as your team comes out on the winning side, 
I think that, that uh, even if you watch them on the road, you know, uh, seeing your favorite team play, uh, I think there'll be a lot of nights that even if your team wins, you'll even walk away thinking that even in a losing effort that uh, the future is bright for this team. I remember thinking that about some of those young Celtics teams before they were able to get back on the uh, – before they were able to make it back to the postseason uh, when they still had a bunch of really young guys who, who walk out after the game. I thought that watching the Celtics play uh, in Oklahoma City against the Thunder when the Thunders were serious playoff contenders, Celtics gave them all they wanted uh, uh, in Oklahoma City. And I remember walking away being impressed with the effort that I saw from from that team. And I think you're going to see similar results from uh, from this Utah team. Yeah, stay tuned. I definitely want to watch what they end up doing. And they may be seated as ninth right now in the West. They are tied in a three-way tie from seven through nine with the Mavericks and the Blazers. They both have played one less game, but it would basically mean that the – Mavericks would have to, like, lose a game, and the Blazers would have to lose a game. It's interesting how this is because they're 14 and 12. Uh, both Portland and the Mavericks are tied at 13 and 11. So it is, it's such a crazy log jam right there. That's what I'm saying. The West is absolutely loaded, absolutely. Um, Mike, anything that you brought to the cookout that you like to discuss sport-wise? I don't want to, you know, throw, throw everything that I have out there all being me. What, what do you have that you would like to talk all across the board? No, nah, so – you know, a few different things. One thing that I would say, uh, this year has been really exciting for baseball free agency. Uh, whereas the last few years, you might see one or two things done. It's like uh, a, a high percentage of those most coveted players are coming off the board right around winter meetings. Um, I, I really like what the Philadelphia Phillies have done, uh, adding Trey Turner. To that roster, by the way, uh, we were told last night that uh, PHI Apparel, one of our sponsors, already has uh, the Trey Turner uh, gear. So uh, if, if uh, you're a Phillies fan and you want to represent uh, the Trey Turner signing, uh, then this is your, uh, you know, reach out to them. They already have uh, that jersey together for you right there. So uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, but I, I like what the Phillies have done, not only in Trey Turner, but also adding, uh, adding an arm in Taiwan Walker uh, to that rotation, which, you know, that was one of the things that kind of, I think, haunted them a little bit um, in this uh, in the postseason was they didn't have enough depth uh, behind their, their top two guys in that rotation. So um, looking at that, I uh, – but we're seeing moves all across the board. Bellinger and Tyon go to the Cubs, uh, but but lots of big uh, lots of big free agent moves, and I think we're going to see uh, several more over just the next few days before Christmas. I think some of these teams are going to try to do their Christmas shopping uh, early and get that done. So I'm looking to see Correa and uh, Bogarts and some of these guys uh, get signed here just over the next few days. Yeah, one name that you did mention, I did not want to see Cody Bellinger go to the Cubs. I, I feel like the Cubs have a lot of work to do before they can make waves in the Central again. Um, I really wanted him in Minnesota just because I'm, I'm I'm a big Cody Bellinger fan. This guy smacks, but um, he's he's having to build himself back after having 
questionable. I want to at least say last season after them winning the World Series. But I feel like he could get back into the swing of things and be a phenomenal outfielder and definitely dominant at the plate like he's been while he spent his time in L.A. That is actually one name that I wanted myself. The Correa situation is close to me right now because Minnesota's involved. Um, they're already talking about not only if they can get Correa, they're already talking about unloading Luis Reyes, and I don't want to lose the batting champ. Like, who wins the batting championship, and they're talking about letting him go? Only Minnesota could do some crazy stuff like this. Now, I get it. Correa wanted to test the water to try to see how much money he can get, but it's like I wouldn't want Correa to soak up every dime that Minnesota has and then start – working through the farm system like Minnesota's always done. If he wants to walk, let him go. We already have people that can play shortstop. Polanco's still there. Arreyes is there that can hit the ball as well. I, I'm not saying that I want to see Correa go, but the money that he's going to want because he's going to be getting tested by every team across the board, let him go. Let him go. Like And plus, he, he's been getting injured. He got injured last year and missed a good amount of time too for us. I mean, it's, I mean, injuries is never anybody's fault, but that's something that has to be put into consideration as well. So, that is something that I'm watching with Correa, too. But, again, this frenzy will start, especially while they're having their meetings, so on and so forth, before we can get into the thick of the winter and then watch the pitchers and catchers get together around February. So those are at least some of the names that I could combat with what you just said that I want to see respectively make some things happen, especially Bellinger in Chicago. I really feel like they are a work in progress at this point in time, and I think this kind of hides Cody at this point in time, from him going from the limelight of L.A. winning a World Series and not having the best of seasons last year, he could kind of rebuild himself in Chicago um, as best he can with that Cubs team that's trying to grow at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and there's still so many more guys to come. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, you got you got three more uh, shortstops out there to be signed. Um, here in the Giants in Correa, possibly. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and then Brandon Nimmo and some other guys. But uh, real interesting to see. And then uh, I wanted to ask you, because we talked about it. We talked about it a little bit last night. Uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, the four teams that were selected for the, the college playoffs and, uh, and what your thoughts were on uh, what the committee did and how that all shook out. I just don't like how the committee's inconsistent. They're they are not consistent on the way that they do this year by year and they're stubbing their toe and finally it's come back to smack them in their face because they are talking about making a twelve team playoff. That's right. Because you've been doing this for far too long and watching teams that should be there and you guys have to pick and stand on pins and needles and trying to make the right call. Now you're two years away from making this a better playoff system. I get it. But um I feel bad for TCU because TCU had a great season, awesome, and then they lose, and then they don't move. This is the same situation that happened last year. Cincinnati won out, and they stayed at fourth. They stayed at the fourth seed. Didn't move at all. While everybody else around them was losing except Alabama, Alabama was the only one that ran the table until they got to the postseason. Everybody else lost. It was going to two and three. Michigan and Georgia out, I guess, exceeded the situation in front of the committee to go to two or three. But looking at the situation with Ohio State going in at four, I question it because Day, Coach Day has struggled up against Michigan. He has not beaten Michigan up until this point, and they are looking like they could prime and be ready 
for a Big Ten national championship if this goes down the right way. Um, even though I don't think Ohio State will come out and beat Georgia, that'll be a very interesting game if they do end up stacking that thing up and beating Georgia. But I, I think that uh, TCU may have their hands full going up against Michigan, especially losing a game to Kansas State. If they knock off Michigan, this is an all-for-not situation on how close Harbaugh is at this point in time. But um, I respect all four teams nonetheless. And um, to me right now, I know you didn't ask this question, it's either Caleb Williams or Max Duggan, both of these guys for the Heisman. I, I love the way that these two guys play quarterback. Um, if they're in trouble, they'll take off. I don't like quarterbacks that just throw the ball out of bounds and play for another play. If you can excel and make your team pick up three or four, five, six, seven yards, instead of just wasting a pass play or wasting a down, I get it. Um, but from what Max is able to do in that game up against Kansas State to help force the issue to go to overtime, impressive. With all the odds against him, he could barely breathe. He was falling to one knee, making things happen. I'm impressed with what TCU was able to do in this season. But um, this committee has to stay consistent. They have their favorites. If everybody wasn't against, Alabama for all the time that they've been in the postseason, I knew they would have snuck them in there with TCU losing. I really felt like TCU losing that game would have been Ohio State and Alabama falling right back in line. They didn't move them at all. When we've seen teams across the board in history lose a game at the end of the season and fall to 10, 11, 12, 14, TCU stayed still in the Big 12, and the Big 12 ain't that great. I will say that right now. They have impressive play here and there, but they're not a juggernaut. I, I feel like the, the committee has to get it right. They have to start getting it right. But nonetheless, I respect all four teams. It's going to be an, an get-your-popcorn-ready situation uh, with them playing football in the the CFP. Um, your thoughts on at least the four, because I was not there when you guys were getting it on last night. No, so, I, I mean, I, honestly, I think they probably got it right with the four teams. One thing that I said – last night is this was one of those years that if we had had just two teams playing for the national title and it had been Georgia and Michigan, I would not have been mad at it when other teams had the chance to grab that fourth spot and were unable to do so. The other thing that I would have said is I, I think that if Tennessee's quarterback doesn't go down, then uh, Tennessee is getting some play right there over Alabama as well because they beat them head-to-head. And then the other thing that I would say that that I think is going to be really interesting is from everything that I've read about when they moved to 12, like we've talked about the four teams getting a bye, um, and there's been some talk. And, and I've heard it, and in some ways it, it holds true about the regular season not quite holding uh, as much mystique because you can lose a game and not necessarily be eliminated. But the one thing that I did read that I think has been pretty consistent with what they're going to do with the new 12-team format, though, and this is the interesting piece to me, is the top four power conference champions, uh, like out of the power five, the four highest rated conference champions are going to be the ones that get buys that first weekend. So uh, you're not, no more will you be able to lose that conference championship game and be one of the top four seeds. Um, So if we were doing this format, uh, if we were doing the 12 team format this year, the interesting thing is the top four seeds and the buys would have gone to Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and Utah because Utah was ranked ahead of Kansas State. And those would have been the four that got buys. 
So then you're Ohio State, TCU, and then who would have probably been like, you know, your five and six, or actually Kansas State, Ohio State, TCU would have been like your five through seven, and then you would have slotted in the other five uh, to make your seven teams. So that is going to, even if some of the regular season is not going to mean quite as much at times, that is going to at least make sure that these conference championships uh, stay meaningful. So that's going to be an interesting wrinkle, I think, once they start going to 12 teams. Okay, well, we will see all this stuff end up panning out respectively. Like I said, I respect those four teams. But the committee, for years, you've been making us college fans mad. I don't even want to just say America, but just people that watch the respect the sport mad. You guys can't hold it anymore. You guys are in trouble, and now that's why they're forcing the issue to have a 12-team playoff. So, ha-ha, you guys have to do better, and this is what America gets. We finally get a gift out of it, finally. But it took hundreds of years. or oh, not hundreds, but at least a half a century. <laughs> at least a half a century to get you guys to get this thing right, and there's no more wrong that you guys can do. We have to make you guys, you know, muck up and deal with this situation. Uh, Mike, any other topic before we get ready to close the doors on a cookout? Uh, no, nah, man, real quick, uh, just I want to make a, a, a quick mention. You mentioned uh, Sports City Chefs and our birthday yesterday turning 13, man. Uh, listen, it, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to be part of this, man. Um, I am forever grateful to you, my brother, for uh, inviting me to be part of the the chef and be part of this. I've been happy to be around for the last couple of years and I hope to be around for a lot more, man, but it is, uh, it's by the grace of God that I'm here and you invited me, man. And so, uh, like, listen, we all family around here, but just, just a big shout out and ups to you, man. And appreciation for letting me be part of the crew. And, uh, let's not forget sports city, man. Our head honcho, he's got his own birthday coming up in, uh, in three days. Hey, easy, easy, easy. I actually got a topic. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They know. They know December is the most the wonderful time you, of the year. The topic, was, the topic was you, my brother. The topic was you for no, a No, 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 no. December is the most wonderful time of the year. They know that. That's historic. Like, I'm not making this up. You hear the Christmas carols all across America and your malls and supermarkets, so on and so forth. You hear that song get played in this month. So this is, this is the week of heroes, especially in this building. So... That's one thing, first and foremost. Um, I, I, you know, there's something I love to do, to, to rattle off sports and talk about it, good, bad, or indifferent, debate or not, or, or find a common ground where we could agree. But all, all of the major sports that we've gotten into for all of the years, I think everybody has been able to come in and participate as best as possible um, and finding their wheelhouse if they can or, you know, even if they don't like me and they come in and just want to challenge me. That's the good thing. I, I love it, man. It, and that's something that I've been able to grow off of and build character with as well. So, Sports City, this is your birthday. Happy birthday to you. I, I must say that I've enjoyed every last bit of it, whether it was me doing it seven days a week or the seven days a week doing it by myself. Uh, I've been through so much, Sports City. So, thank you for everybody's been able to be here as much as possible to help things down. Um Mike, anything that you'd like to throw out there before you give us or actually give us a closeout before we shut this thing down and head toward Thursday? And speaking on Thursday, your thoughts on the winner for tomorrow's game. It should be an interesting game at that because uh, we don't know who's going to lose. <laughs> I hate to say it like that because both of these teams are, you know, in their own way at this point in time, but I really feel like I have my inkling on who can win this game. But your thoughts as the Raiders visit the Rams. 
Uh, so real quick on that and my closeout for tonight, I'm going to go with the Raiders tomorrow night. I think they, you know, won a game last week. They they uh, at least can get out of their own way a little bit more than the Rams can. So in the battle of the two former L.A. teams, and one of them now residing in Las Vegas, uh, I'm, I'm going with the uh, – with the Raiders tomorrow night. I think they win Thursday night. Uh, real quick, man, uh, Clubhouse Barbershop on Clubhouse plugged that earlier. Come by, be part of our community. We always have things going on. Uh, listen, if things are updated and we got a barbershop room open, you can hear about it in the barbershop. So, uh, as I said before, you want to be part of our conversations, please come by and do so. PHIapparel.co. Use Chefs and check out to get 15% off. Uh, also, check out the blog, the websites, everything we got going on. Uh, sportscitychefs.com uh, Got finger foods Got all kinds of articles and other things We're going to do a hot stove show tomorrow night TP stop by if you want to with us Me and Chandler tomorrow night uh, Talk about some of these free agent moves Delve into these things a little bit more uh, That we kind of scratch the surface on tonight And then uh, As you guys know we always have the NFL Free for all show on Tuesday nights at 9 Eastern the cars cook out on Wednesdays And then man it's a once again, a, a pleasure to be next to the head honcho himself on uh, Sunday mornings as we do the timeless Sunday morning brunch, uh, where on that particular show, we recap things that happened over the weekend. We're going to talk about uh, Caleb Williams winning the Heisman this Sunday. Uh, and we talk about, uh, we also set the table for you for whatever's happening in the sports world right now. It just happens to be. Uh, we set the table and, and pick the games heading into the NFL week. But we do this thing year-round. We always got things going on. Uh, so come by and check us out. Be part of what we do. Um, and then remember, you can uh, like and subscribe us. You can listen to us. You can have us coming through your smart speakers or anything in your home. Just ask it to play Sports City Chefs. But man, uh, pleasure and a privilege, man. Blessings to all out there in the Sports City Chefs community. And uh, we look forward to uh, – we look forward to the next show. We'll be talking to you tomorrow night and then again on Sunday. But in the meantime, until next time, laissez-les-bons-tons. Of course, I don't even have to do too many closeouts. I know that's for sure. Um, new show. They put this one underneath my nose. So this is brilliant that they got it going. It's Micah Chandler going at it. This is a blessing. And they are taking their time out to do this in Fort City. See how much we've grown. Over a decade worth giving you good old content, man. That's something that I'm proud and privileged to be around these individuals across the country. They are not just here in the Northeast region or dealing with this cold air. They are somewhere in the Midwest. They are some on the West Coast, some that we had even in Australia. Some, uh, man, Sports City, we are global. <laughs> I'm so thankful for every last bit of that. Um, Cooper, I miss you, even though you're out there in Canada doing your thing, and, and I see you blowing up. and the Gentile brothers and, and Jeff's been on TV. Uh, man, this this incredible presence that we've been able to have. Colin Cosell, I've had Howard Cosell's grandson here with me and did it for years, and I grew up with him since I was a kid, and now he's one of the color, color commentators for the New York Mets and knowing that the start happened here with Sports City. So I've been through a lot, Sports City. I must say that, man. I'm proud and just happy about it, man, on a birthday well, the the post-birthday of Sports City, and the the week isn't done. It's not over. We're in front of Thursday, and I agree with Mike. I'm going with the Raiders tomorrow. I, I can't see the Rams beating them, even though this is incredible. The Rams are able to pull in Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is now a Ram after being released by the Panthers that fast. He got a job again. On that note, 
Tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports City, Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on the spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Uh. They got me staring at the world through my rear view. Hope you baby scream to God. He can help you with your problems. These brothers, wow, when we come through, they can relate to our music, help them with their problems. Turn us up. What's your problem? That's all I got. We gone. <laughs>